0: Welcome to Business Talk with Henrietta. This is the place where we speak with the most up-and-coming entrepreneurs to figure out how they've built the life of their dreams. And today, I'm actually in the middle of the streets again in New York, sitting, sitting at a cafe together with Serena Advani, and she's the founder of Seadrop Skincare. She's worked in McKinsey, she's been working in a lot of companies, and she is a beauty and skincare enthusiast and that's what we will dig into today in this episode um you've also pursued nail art i also have a lot of friends that do you know nail art so that's interesting and you have a background in now it's going to come some complicated words here cognitive neuroscience and operations information and decisions from the university of pennsylvania Vagela's dual degree program, something in life sciences and management in the Wharton School and the College of Arts and Sciences. So she has a fancy background, uh, but I want to talk about your passion today. She is curious to understand the relationship between neuroscience and decision making, especially in marketing. I think that's really interesting, you know, marketing, branding. How can you actually pursue someone to take a decision to buy your products? And in addition to the beauty industry and your marketing, she's interested in social impact. And also, this is then applied to sustainability, entrepreneurship, and politics. And today, we will speak about your journey, the beauty industry, and what we can do to improve it. Welcome to
1: Business Talks, Serena. Thank you so much, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, how are you today? I'm doing well. It is a beautiful day in New York, yeah. warm outside, and yeah. excited to be here in the middle of the chaos um, on a street in Manhattan talking about the company. Yeah. Have you been on podcasts before? Uh, once, actually, with my first startup in high school, actually. I started a farmer's market on wheels. We would deliver fresh and locally grown produce to different houses around North Carolina, where I'm from, and yeah. was on a couple podcasts then, but it was you know, smaller scale high school, but early interest in entrepreneurship. So
0: Mm, how nice you are an entrepreneurial spirit. And I just want to know,
1: tell us about your story from your upbringing and today, like what made you the person you are today? Yeah, so I, as you mentioned, have always been interested in beauty more as a passion than a career when I was younger. When I was around 11 or 12, I started getting really into nail art, painting little designs on my fingers. Just as a stress reliever, um, I found that nail art was a chance to channel the creative outlets in a way that was really therapeutic because honestly when you're doing your nails you can't do anything else. You can't really work. You can't really, um, you know, you're not distracted. You have to put your phone down. So loved that but never thought it could be a professional career. Many years later, Indian parents, I'm kind of going down a path of more traditionally respected backgrounds in science and business. And don't get me wrong, I still love those fields. But I felt like there was a box I had to fit into based on my background and what I thought the community respected. And I kind of kept going down that path up until my first job. I was a consultant at McKinsey and after my first project, which was six month long cross country travel, working in an industry that honestly, I wasn't that passionate about. I realized if I'm gonna be working that hard at anything, I would rather work on something I love. I'm a very content driven person. Mm. And I ended up actually thinking back to that time as a nail artist when I was 12 and how much joy that industry brought me and ended up cold emailing everyone who worked in beauty, consumer, retail at McKinsey and lovely, women that I actually reached out to staffed me on this project right after that first one. Um, It was actually a project for a male art supplier of all things. And I loved it. I ended up doing mostly beauty retail work um, and realized that's really where my passion lies and used that as my first, um, you know, stage before pursuing a career at Estee Lauder companies where I was like, I want to get some industry experience yeah. loved my time there got to see how a brand develops a strategy from the corporate level when you have all of the resources and you have all of the different functions there um, after that decided to get my MBA since it's helpful for a large company like NSA Estee Lauder which again loved working there uh, went how many to, years were you there for I was there for one year at Estee And then went to Wharton for my MBA for two years, and while I was getting my MBA, that's where I had the idea for Seedrop. Yes. I never once thought when I was. And Seedrop is your company. Yes. Right. You just launched. Yes. Tell us. So Seedrop is a crushable, just add water, foaming facial cleanser tablet that transforms from powder form into a luxurious lather with the water that you already have on tap at home. Okay, the concept came to me that first year in school when I put together a couple things I learned about in the beauty industry one when I was working in beauty I found out that most of our skincare Mm -hmm. is actually just water It's the same water that we already have on tap at home and a liquid facial cleanser is up to 90% water Which is kind of wild because I'm like why are you paying for something you already have on tap? Um, I also found out that that's why we have to package most of our skincare in single-use packaging usually plastic and the industry creates 120 billion units of single use packaging every year. And I just kind of started questioning why we need that. Yeah. And then finally, when I was working in beauty, I found out that water breeds bacteria and that's why we need to add artificial preservatives into skincare. Ah. So with drop, I kind of it all clicked and I was like, why not just remove the water, mm-hmm. create a packaging form that's completely refillable, zero waste, biodegradable and rethink why we add water in our skincare in the first place i also knew that waterless would work because i grew up with indian background and in india the way people do skincare is actually mixing clays powders things like chickpea flour multani mitti, which is like a clay in india with water to create face masks and cleansers and it works so well i grew up doing this with my mom and my grandma when i was younger so mm-hmm. kind of put it all together and that's yeah. where the idea for c-drop came from
0: Yeah, and that's also making skincare more sustainable, right? Yeah. So how how are you more sustainable
1: than the other brands? Yeah, so other brands are first typically heavy to ship, Mm -hmm. which means that the carbon emissions coming from a product that's mostly water is higher than a lightweight product. And second, most importantly, those products with liquid skincare are typically stored in single-use packaging and usually they're stored in plastic. Mm -hmm. Those products are rarely, if ever, recycled, and um, the opportunity to work with a waterless form gives us the chance to package everything in completely biodegradable, zero waste packaging. So Mm -hmm. in our case, we use FSC certified paper packaging, printing with soy-based inks so that the entire refill component is curbside recyclable and designed to disintegrate instead of a plastic bottle, which you get a typical facial cleanser in, which realistically, I've now toured recycling plants, will never get recycled. <laughs> this is real, this is
0: complicated stuff. Okay, so this is a lot of research within all these. Like I'm looking at your packages right now. You have them with you, of course you have, because you're 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 a marketing wizard <laughs> as well. So how long have you been working with this? Like how long have you developed this product? Because in entrepreneurship, right, you need to do the research, you need to create a good product, and then now finally you can sell it. So how has that process been? You just
1: launched, right? Yes, we just launched about a month ago, but the product uh, actually took about two and a half years to develop, formulate, test, we wanted to be dermatologist tested, get the packaging right, and bring to life. This so, must be expensive. Yes, it is expensive, but I will say that we've tried to be scrappy where we could be. So. I've kind of had to reprioritize where we're spending on. And I realized on things like the product photography, that's where we get scrappy. That's where we have interns coming in. That's where we're doing photography with our phone, trying to get the marketing materials right. But with formulation, I really wasn't willing to be scrappy. I spent the majority of our budget on formulation, development, testing, um, you know, getting all of our our paperwork in order to make sure it's allergy tested, cruelty free. So that's where the majority of the spend went. and. Mm as a startup owner, choosing to be scrappy in other places where we can get more creative. Exactly, that's
0: about prioritization, right? Yes. Where can you kind of, you need to see where to spend your money and also where to not actually spend your money right now. So you're also interested in marketing. Tell us about how are you planning to do your marketing for going forward? Like how are you supposed to brand yourself? You already have a brand, right? So what are, what are you doing there at a low cost right now? Probably gonna spend more later. I don't know, what, what, what's yeah, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. So starting out, a uh, couple things. One, we're just trying to get all of our product photography. We spent the last couple months getting all the photos, and yeah. we've been very creative. I'll tell you two things, my two favorite stories, trying to be a creative entrepreneur, getting content for this brand, since it's such a new concept, so much has to go into the marketing. One, um, came up with this idea with some of my interns, Sofia Nahona, Instead of getting a backdrop to do proper product photography, buying tiles, buying proper cameras, we rented a camera from one of my interns' universities. Went to Bed Bath and Beyond and Macy's, <laughs> cleared out the product, and so actually, so Bed Bath and Beyond
0: is like a department store, yeah, or like yeah,
1: right, right down the street on Sixth Ave cleared the product out of the way and used the tile backdrops that they have in store wow. with handheld lighting to get our product photography, which you will soon see on our Instagram. We haven't launched it yet. Hey, that's so smart. And it came out stunning. So yeah. I'll, I'll give the credit to the interns for um, executing on this because it looked beautiful. They bought towels in store, used it as props. They got very creative. We have some great behind the scenes footage of this, but that's a great way to get lower cost high quality product photography. Wow! So you just used a store? Like, did you ask the store or did you just go in there? We just asked the store attendant and they're like, yeah, I mean, go ahead. It's like the backdrop of a display, so really scrappy. This is amazing how you actually can give
0: responsibility to some people and just say, hey, I have this idea we need to make
1: this and like get creative. Right? Yeah. And then like use what you have. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's why the second thing that I'm excited about how we were able to bring this all to life. Two days ago, we were walking down the street in Manhattan, another street in Manhattan and came across this beautiful, uh, it's like a furniture store that sells kitchen sinks. They have a lot of sink displays everywhere. And we actually walked in, the store is called Italcraft. And the man at the front desk, Ricardo, was like, yeah, if you're interested in filming here, after we asked, one of my other interns, Gabby, had this idea. He goes, well, if you're interested in filming here, we can talk to our corporate office and see if you can get the store for an hour to film whatever you want, shoot whatever you want. Yeah. Beautiful backdrops. Within a day, we were on the phone with their headquarter team lead who gets us approvals from everyone on that um, whole like chain of command. And yesterday, we went in, had the whole store for an hour. Did all of our product photography agreed to talk about them and also tag them in our photos mm-hmm. but it was a great way for us to get beautiful backdrops mm-hmm. low cost but again not something you would think of initially when trying to get product photography for a skincare brand i really
0: love this thank you for sharing this and also about how you did it because this can give some ideas to our listeners about okay they have this business idea but they think okay if i'm gonna sell a product you need to have like all these professional things around but you actually don't you can just scrap around with what you have. Exactly. And yeah. I think
1: it's also good to know what it's worth spending on. Yeah. And in this case, if you're going to do skincare, in my opinion, the product comes first. Spending mm-hmm. on the formulation and the testing, that is so important. The ingredients, I wanted the highest quality ingredients. Yeah. But if we can be scrappy in other ways and still have it be creative and beautiful with our photos, for example, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. where I'm willing to get creative. Mm-hmm.
0: Very, very nice to 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 hear that that you're like scrapping around and fixing everything um so now you just launched and you're going to sell this product right yes. so there's probably been like what do you think what has been the biggest challenge up until now and what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge because now you're gonna get this in stores
1: right you're gonna sell it online what's the strategy yes great question so actually that's what over the last couple of weeks we've been thinking through And we've actually had our most recent breakthrough on what we plan on doing this past week. So initially, my thought process as a founder was, it makes so much sense to launch waterless skincare. It does not make sense to ship water that we already have on tap at home. And to me, it's just it makes so much sense very logically. But skincare is a little more emotional. And I realized that the messaging strategy that makes the most sense to convince people to try something this new, this is such a big behavior change, is actually teaching people that when you buy liquid skincare, you're buying products that was activated in a lab months, years before you ever use it. But if you use C-drop, where you activate it, you crush each tablet right when you use it, you activate it with water on tap, you are getting freshly activated skincare that's designed to hydrate, protect, revive your skin. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of messaging we're trying to bring to life. Mm -hmm. We're doing that in three phases. Mm -hmm. The first one is getting all of our organic social media started, getting all of our, um, aesthetic correct on Instagram, the messaging correct on Instagram, because we never want to make people feel bad about their, um, unsustainable practices we just want to make people feel good about the little switches they make and we yeah. need that voice to be clear on our own communication. Yeah. The second phase is with micro-influencer seeding and that's where we actually scouted a list of over 500 Instagram and TikTok influencers who we think would be a good fit for the seed drop aesthetic and we're individually messaging each of them on gifted collaborations if they're interested in working with us, reviewing the product and talking about it to their followers. Mm -hmm. And then the third phase is with PR. We're really excited to work with reporters and influencers who would be excited to try the product, especially if they work in beauty and they've tried every other product on the market. We're coming in so confident that this product is so good that we know that when we get this in the hands of beauty experts, they're going to love it. And we actually also manually scraped a list of over 300 beauty writers so we can reach out to them directly and get them to try the product
0: so that's the next steps i really like you have like you have such, you're such on top of your game, you know how to do this, like step one, step two, step three. This is just for us listeners to like, okay, you can actually
1: copy this. <laughs> it's so funny because when you say that in my head, I'm figuring it out as I go. Yeah. And I think it's helpful to put structure onto things like I'm setting this plan for myself, but we're all kind of figuring it out as we go. And yeah. after talking to so many of my other entrepreneur friends, um, especially once in consumer and retail, a lot of it is getting reinvented in this 2023 landscape as we speak so we're also realizing that as long as you're confident in your decision and you set out a plan that makes sense to you you're kind of creating this plan for yourself because it hasn't been done before in this climate ever so that's the exciting part i think anyone can find a strategy that works for them there's no one Roadmap exactly yeah,
0: and that I'm really also fond of that idea that everything goes along the way right you figure things out As as you go and you say okay, this works. This doesn't work. I want to try this. Let's try this. Oh, we failed We learned we're trying something new and and that's Yeah, that's how life goes and also life in entrepreneurship. What is your um, how is it to be an entrepreneur like going from corporate to? being an entrepreneur in New York City. How
1: how has that transition been for you? It's so different, it's so different. Um, I would say that I was really fortunate to come from a background that was highly structured. Mm -hmm. In consulting, you have daily check-ins, check-outs, you're meeting with your manager, you have a really structured team and hierarchy where you know how to get work done efficiently as you switch teams. And I'm really grateful for that because I've been able to bring that same structure from consulting into my team now. And even with my interns, I try to structure things in a way where there are clear work streams. We have check-ins daily. They know what they're responsible for. And having that team has actually really helped me even plan my days out because yeah. otherwise as an entrepreneur, it's so easy to lose track yeah. and work all night. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I've done that sometimes too, but I try to catch myself and add that structure back in for yeah. my corporate days. I also think it was helpful looking back to my time at Estee Lauder to think about how they segmented work. Honestly, just by function. They had communications, they had consumer research, they had product marketing, they had product development. And in my head, I've bucketed all of my work streams since I'm doing it on my own into the same functions that they had in beauty, which has really helped me keep track of the structure. Yeah, so it's also a benefit to have corporate experience
0: before going into entrepreneurship.
1: Absolutely. I I really think it was so helpful. I would not know how to even go about this without that structure. And I think it's possible for some people, but especially for skincare and beauty, it's so helpful to have that context on formulation and getting the product right, since skincare is personal and it's, you're putting something on your body's largest organ your skin so I think getting it right and having that experience with a more structured corporation that kind of has figured out how to bring that product to life is mm-hmm. so important and so so helpful as an entrepreneur exactly
0: and you're also like I could say you're a skincare beauty expert at least you you love this right and how would you advise other young women or men for that kind of sake uh, to go into entrepreneurship within skincare or Yeah. Well, what is your advice? Like, what is your learnings from now? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I would say one, it's really helpful to work at another skincare beauty brand because this is the kind of subject that doesn't get taught the same way in school. You can learn marketing in school. You can learn supply chain in school. You can learn finance in school, but it's harder to learn the intricacies of consumer and beauty specifically without working at a company that does it already. So I think even if you can get one year of experience, there, very, very helpful. Second thing I would do is reach out to people, and cold emailing is the best way to meet new people. People are more friendly and likely to respond than you would expect. In my search for a formulator, for example, I cold called over 500 people, actually. Wow, that's a lot. It was a lot, and it proved to be really beneficial, because not only did I find a really phenomenal formulator, but I also built out my network and found so many people that were willing to help me, advise me, even if I didn't work directly with them and people were really likely and excited to help a new entrepreneur. So don't don't be afraid of reaching out to people because they agree. are likely to respond.
0: I so agree, like this is also what I did, like this part of my story, like how people ask like, okay, how do you start? How do you begin? Like it's about finding a vision where you want to go and then ask the people who are going in that same direction as you, right? So how is the startup community here in New York with, with women entrepreneurs? Do you feel like there is equality like how is it to kind of are you raising money you're probably i don't know what's 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 the area or the sphere looking like yeah so
1: i think that the female founder community in new york is amazing Mm -hmm. but i will say that it's still an industry that is not as um let's be historically open to women as other industries in under 2% of VC funding goes to female founded companies. And I I think that, yeah, so things like that, the the systemic disadvantages are still there. Mm -hmm. But I will say that the women that I work with, even the men that I work with that I meet at entrepreneurship networking events are amazing and they're excited to help you. And I think what's most important is as we're going through finding these networks and these spaces where you're meeting lots of people, my, whole attitude is it's so important to be inclusive and just invite people to that table because I think sometimes the reason why you have that imbalance Mm -hmm. on women and entrepreneurship is Mm -hmm. not everyone's invited to those tables so it's my goal to create those spaces where honestly you can meet people and you can invite everyone entrepreneurs people in beauty and that's actually why I started a program I'm now calling Beauty Overheard it's a happy hour series in manhattan for people who work in the beauty industry across functions it's investors people in the industry entrepreneurs um people who are just you know fans of the space and the goal is to create a space where they can accidentally run into each other it's open invite and you basically get the same overheard um effect that we used to get when we were all in the office back in 2019 you would overhear people at the you know, lunch Ah. restaurants at the water cooler talking about what they're working on. And I think that's really what's going to be the most um, likely to move the needle for women entrepreneurs, just like being in those spaces and having access to those casual interactions. So Mm -hmm. inclusivity for me is kind of what bridges that gap. And then to answer your other question on fundraising, not actively fundraising now was able to raise friends and family initially, Mm -hmm. but I am about to start raising an angel round. And I think that it's so important, again, to just feel comfortable cold emailing people because the people I've reached out to so far have been incredibly helpful. Um, but then also keep in mind that sometimes you have to be that person to change that statistic of the 2% only get funded because um, I think that can sometimes discourage people from trying. Mm-hmm. And my perspective is that it's always worth trying. Don't mm-hmm. let that discourage you. And you might mm-hmm. be the one to bump that statistic up someday. Mm-hmm. So. That's kind of how I've been seeing it.
0: Yeah, it's all about being inclusive, you know, like inviting people to the table and also, you know, talking about it and sharing your experiences and, like, yeah, and also about role models. So that's why I run these podcasts to, you know, promote more role models, show people that it's actually possible, right? You're living the dream, or what would you say is the downside of being an entrepreneur here? Oh my in God, yeah. City? So I've
1: actually learned to appreciate working at, companies so much more Um, now that I'm starting my own. And I think there are a couple. One is you don't get as much extrinsic validation Mm -hmm. as you would at a company where you can Ah. talk to your manager every day and you'll get this like feedback um, in real time. In entrepreneurship, you're often working behind the scenes and it takes Mm -hmm. such a long time for people to see the output. Like I worked on this formulation for, two and a half years and people didn't see it until a month ago. Yeah, people are like, what are you working on? I'm like, I'm working on this, but people cannot really
0: see what you're working on, right? Exactly.
1: So you have to be really committed to the idea and Mm -hmm. just aware that you need to get validation from yourself and be committed to what you're building because you're not really gonna hear from the world until Mm -hmm. a little bit longer than you might at a company. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you will be taking on a lot more mental toll because At a company, I think you feel the upside when you do something right, but you don't necessarily feel all the downside when you do something wrong. When you start a company, you're taking on all of that risk and if you do something wrong and the company fails, it's kind of all on you in a way. So um, I think it's a trade-off. It's not necessarily good or bad, but it's good to know before going into it. Mm -hmm. I think the third thing is your lifestyle is going to be set by your own boundaries when you're starting a company in consulting or working in beauty, if your manager tells you, hey, you know what, you've been working really hard, you should go home, or this is an urgent priority, you need to get it done by tonight, you have someone else setting that structure for you. Mm -hmm. When you're on your own, if you wanna work 24 hours a day, no one's gonna stop you. So I think it's super important to set your own boundaries and figure out a lifestyle that works for you to get your work done, but also keep track of your personal boundaries because no one's gonna set that for you when you're working for yourself how are you setting your personal boundaries
0: then like how do you make sure you don't overwork yourself or how um, do you like what techniques do you use to keep yourself sane you know? so
1: i will not lie and say that i'm perfect at this i don't think anyone is um but i definitely have a couple techniques that i really like to use one is i am a big fan of the passana meditation i don't know if you've heard of this have you heard of yeah the... it's like breathing techniques or yeah so it's rooted in breathing techniques but it's a uh, 10-day-long silent meditation retreat that's not religious, but rooted in the concept of teaching you mindfulness from understanding the sensations on your body and not reacting to them. So it is a lot of breath work, but it's a lot of just um, focusing on sensations and not reacting. That, to me, is the best stress management tool. I've been to two of those retreats now, once right after my first year of college and once right before I started in consulting. And that helps, I think, ground the waves that you normally get from stress to smaller waves, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: so and I, this one retreat helps you throughout the year or do you do like some refreshing
1: during the year? It's more like I can practice it on my own now that I've learned the technique. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I found that helps bring down these like s- strong waves into something a little bit smaller and more manageable. Uh, so I like to try and maintain that in my day-to-day life and I'm not saying I'm perfect I don't do it every single day but it helps manage the stress mm-hmm. and the second one is I have tried so hard when I have blocked off time with a friend or a family member that is time that I will not look at my phone. I will check it once an hour. And if there's something absolutely urgent, I will get it done. But I think setting those boundaries so I don't lose friends or family or the important things in life in the process has been really important. So stress management for one, but then also making sure that when I'm with other people, those boundaries are really clear. Yeah. Also really, really important to me.
0: Yeah, and it also helps you enjoying the moment if you put yes. your phone away. This is also something I'm trying to be aware of. You know, but it's also really hard. I'm, and when I'm here in New York, I actually have my phone on do not disturb. I don't do this at home because at home it's like a regular degree of yeah. messages. But now when I'm here, I'm creating a lot of content, showing what I'm doing. People are like, oh, oh, you should do this. And like, I just, my phone could like playing all the time. But like, if I see a message, your conscious mind is like looking at it and you're like, I need to respond to this. So your head is already another place when you are supposed to enjoy a conversation. So I think this is a really nice technique. We can give this advice to our listeners that, that putting your phone away can be a really nice way to be present. Yeah,
1: yeah, agreed, especially when you're with other people. It's, it's so helpful to just put it down for a bit. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: your phone now is laying closed <laughs> down so you cannot see. I also have a question for you, which I also ask all my guests. This is the last question. Yes. And I'm excited to hear your answer. If you got $1 million right now in your pocket to you spend on whatever you wanted, what would you
1: do with them? Ooh, okay, on the company or on anything? You choose. I mean, I think, Wait, I don't know, maybe this is just a business student in me, but I would take some of that, set it aside, and invest the interest in, likely for me, a cause that's really I'm passionate about is the fight against sex trafficking, and I feel like I would want something to go towards that cause that I just did a lot of work for when I was younger. Um, I think I would use some of the other funds to help promote the concept of C-DROP. I'm just so excited about this and I think it can change the game for skincare to be completely zero waste and also freshly activated. Um, And then I think I would use, trying to think, I don't know, if like I want it to be used the most effective. Honestly, I think I would take a portion of it and set it aside to create spaces for female entrepreneurs to network in cities other than New York. So cities that might not have as strong of a community and as strong of that accidental network. I think it would be really helpful to have that everywhere because I think you might not get the same benefit of running into people on the street and making entrepreneur friends at random happy hours elsewhere. And that ends up being more valuable than any degree in a lot of ways. So building those soft connections for people elsewhere. How
0: nice. It's all about connections and it's all about the network you build and it's all about the people you reach out to. So if you have a vision, you know, go out and grab that person and ask them for advice, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you have any last
1: words to add before we end this conversation today? Uh, no, this has been great. And I'll just say if there's anyone listening that wants to chat with me, then you're more than welcome to just reach out. I'm available at Serena. Yeah, what's your socials? Yeah. Where can people find you? I'll put them down in the link here below. Oh, perfect, yeah. So um, you can just message directly at Skincare on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to reach out or connect you to anyone that could be helpful if you're thinking of starting something or if you're just interested in the beauty space. But I think um, all I'll say is that when you make it, just pass it down and do the same for the next round of entrepreneurs. And I'm happy to chat anytime oh that's lovely thank you for your time thank you for joining in on business talk guys
0: and girls i'll see you in the next episode bye